and welcome to The Donfather, a family podcast about the Essendon Football Club. And yes, Essendon fans, you heard it from Mr. President himself, Paul Brasher. We are doing a mid-season review of everything that is going on in this great, well, once great football club. And Maddie, I'm incredibly excited because if there's any listeners that actually listen to our show, I'm sure they're going to recognise this voice. Maddie, it's my pleasure to introduce Rob from the Sash, or as I call him on this show, Roberto Della Sasho. <laughs> Oh, uh, Nick, Matt, thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. No, thanks for coming. So, um, Rob, tell us, everyone on this family, we, kind of the tagline of the show is that everyone on this podcast is related in some way. Yeah. And um, Matthew, I believe, um, knows a relative of yours. So, okay. technically, in the Italian family, we're connected, right? Okay. Beautiful. Love it. No, sorry. I, I, I've mixed up my um, sash. So it's not Rob. It's uh, I can actually try and get the name, but it's, it's one of the guys you you co-host with. I don't know because you haven't got the same crew on every week, have you? Yeah, it mixes through. So there's Mertz, a regular. Uh, there's there's two there's two Damos. One of names actually Ryan, but we call him Damo. Uh, there's Jesse. There's Ollie, and then there's uh, Alex, also known as Kingo. So could be one of them. Um. Okay, I'll have to do some some digging. I might uh, in a sec just just scroll through. Do some history checks, but yeah. uh, no, he he's related to one of my friends. Okay, um, perfect. So I, I don't really know if that makes us uh, related. So, but we'll, so we'll that means it. you're our cousin. Essentially, <laughs> is how it works in Italian family. Perfect, perfect. I love it. I love so, it. So, so Rob, tell us, how did you inherit the curse of the Essendon Football Club? Where did you get your first sash from? Uh, like like many Essendon uh, supporters, uh, I was cursed by my father. Um, so my family is a is a divided family um, where I'm an Essen supporter who grew up in Hawthorne. So you sort of go, why why wouldn't you just go for Hawthorne? You could have had a great great life. But no, um, Dad was a diehard Essen supporter. Mum went for Hawthorne, um, and the story goes that my sister, who's a few years older than me, went to the footy one day with a mate of hers from school, and she came back. Lo and behold, in a Melbourne jumper, which uh, which no one could stand for at the time, because it was you were either Hawthorne or you're Essendon. Dad quickly was like, "Oh, I better get onto this pretty soon." And then um, I was indoctrinated from that moment, and I don't have a memory where I wasn't an Essendon supporter, so it was pretty clearly put upon me. Um, but my whole family is like that, where my uncle he's Essendon, his wife is Hawthorne. But his son chose to go for Hawthorne, which is you know a, a big thing. And then now he's you know my cousin's got kids, so the grandfather he's now in getting into the kids. One goes for Hawthorne, one goes for Essendon. So there's this big divide through the family. Um, a few random Melbourne supporters in there, um, but that's the history. So I'll, I'll thank my father for uh, what it's been uh, a long 15, 16 years. Yeah. Well, we've been lied to, frankly. Because I, from from your conversations on the sash, I imagine we're of a similar vintage, right? Yes. And so in our the formative years of watching football, sort of, I reckon that happens between about twelve and seventeen. Yeah. Is when you really start to get into footy and understand mm. the game. We were actually pretty solid. Like mm. uh, we won the premiership when I was fourteen, and we had some really competitive teams in that era. And then as soon as we've become adults, we have just been woeful ever since. Mm. Yeah. I. It's funny. I actually was saying to someone the other day that when I was a kid and I first started going for the first time, so I think the very first game I went to um, might have been 99, I think my dad took me to a game. But basically, I think I might have went to about 15-odd games before I actually went to a game and saw us lose. Yeah, I was just like, yeah. I go, we win. I'm like, this is great. Like, we just win every single time. Like, I was there when Lloyd kicked 13 against Sydney. I was there when we smashed North Melbourne by like 150 points. I was like, geez, footy's pretty good. And then mm. it wasn't until maybe, yeah, I was mid-2000s, I went to a game and we lost. And I was kind of like, this is a weird feeling, like yeah. going to watching us lose. And then, um, I mean, these days, it's 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 lucky that I get to go see us win. So It's, it's such a, a contrast from exactly those memories for me. Like my first years as a member were sort of 99 and 2000. And 
you just rock up to the footy expecting a powerful performance. Mm. And it just hasn't been that way for years and years. And I'll just share a message from uh, one of our, uh, well, I call him a brother from another mother, but he comes, he's part of our membership group. Um, And he has a young son. And um, I said, oh, I I hate football, right? I messaged him and he goes, "Um, so much. I feel sorry for Pete, who's his son, who's, Mm. who's three years old. And he said, he's so into footy and he asks me all the time, when are we going to win? <laughs> it's just such a disaster. Yeah. Such a disaster. So um and poor Matthew, we indoctrinated him early. Um and and he has been sucked into mediocrity ever since. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hard. Like I got I got a good mate who I know it's obviously their fortunes have changed in the past twelve months, but um, he was a he's a Melbourne supporter and he's got a, a young fellow who's in primary school and he was you know, he was going to school a few years ago being like, Dad, you know, everyone goes to Richmond or Collingwood and Carlton. They all tell me that we suck and we're no good. But now he's king of the playground. Like he's yeah. absolutely loving life. And you sort of, you just got to, I guess it's some, it shows the character of the kid. If they do hang in through these hard years that you've got a kid who's, you know, pretty loyal to you. But if they yeah. they flake and they, they change, then, I mean, you better have another kid because that one's clearly done. So no, getting, getting rid of him. Getting yeah. rid of him. <laughs> so, Rob... Tell me, tell the listeners, because um, I'm absolutely 100% sure there is no one that listens to our show that doesn't also listen to The Sash. It's okay. a very unique kind of nuffy that yep. spends their time creating a podcast oh, about a football club. Mm-hmm. And another more unique nuffy that will go and listen to multiple of those. Mm. So tell us about The Sash. Where where did this come from? How did you get this going? Um, yeah, give yep. us the history. Yeah, so... 2017, actually, it was it 2018? Jeez, I'm trying to forget now. I think it's 2017. Um, maybe even 16. No, it was definitely, no, it was 17. So I was working, I was freelancing for a mate who loyal listeners of The Sash will have heard our crossover episodes with uh, The Debrief, the Melbourne podcast. Mm. So I was working for Adrian who runs The Debrief at the time. Um, he was running a very, was it? you know, reasonably popular soccer website called Outside 90. Mm-hmm. Um, any listeners who are fans of the A-League might have been familiar with it. He created a podcast called The Daily Football Show that was a, a five-day-a-week podcast covering A-League and Socceroos, mm-hmm. um, which was unheard of at the time. Wasn't a lot of uh, people interested in that. It did extremely well for what is the audience of that sport in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and off the back of that, he once he said to me, it was sort of, mid-Feb and he was like, oh, I'm going to do a Melbourne Demons podcast. Like we've got all this equipment, I've got the studio, I've, you know, I've been thinking about who are the right guys, I'm going to do it. And me and another guy who was in the office, this older guy, Mark, we were like, I was like, oh, Mark, we should do an, an Essendon show. Like, and it was kind of, it kind of came out of spot because we were like, we're going to do a show that's better than yours, we're going to be more successful than you, yada, yada, yada. Adrian had clearly been plotting this thing all summer, whereas Mark and I literally threw it together like, you know, day one. And it was a bit of a slow start. It took us a while to get some followers on social media, get some listens. And it was kind of me and Mark doing a show a couple of times a week. And then we had just random people we knew through work coming through. Um, And that was year one. And it it did okay. I think we got a a few hundred listeners. Like, Mm. I'm sure like, you know, yourself guys like you know enough Essendon's people through going to games and through family friends if you tell them you're going to do a podcast they'll at least listen to one episode so you get well, we just invite our cousins and we've got 80 so yeah, yeah exactly so you, you invite someone on you tell them about it you're going to get at least one listen if they like it they'll listen back or they might tell a mate um that was year one after year one i i stopped working with mark um he had look he had some personal troubles and then we kind of you know stopped talking to each other and then the next year, I was sort of sitting there going, I, w- I want to keep the podcast going, but I actually don't have a lot of really close mates who go for Essendon. I grew up at Hawthorne. I got a heap of Hawthorne mates, heap of Richmond supporting mates, you know, a few Collingwood people, stuff like that. But like of my close mates, I knew probably one guy who was a big Essendon supporter, but he's not a chatty guy. Like he loves yeah. his bombers, but he, you know, he's pretty reserved and quiet. And I said to Adrian, I was like, I want to keep the show going, but you need to help me find some find some other guys to get involved. And he's like, oh, look, I know a heap of guys from school. They, you know, they're as diehard as you. Let's get together. And I remember we we caught up with them for a pub and there was Mert, there was Damo, there was Ollie, there was Kingo, everyone would know from the show. And 
the first question I asked him, I was like, oh, so who's your favorite player? And Mert straight away went, Josh Green. And I was like, you're on, my sh- you're on the show. I like this guy. <laughs> oh, my guy. Um, and then that was it. And then that was sort of, the, I guess, the sort of it was the second year, but I guess it was sort of a fresh year. Um, and then with those guys and some new energy, it just grew and grew and grew. And, um, yeah, it's just uh, amazes me every every week how, how successful that it, it's, it's come. And, um, yeah, very humbled by the, uh, the audience that we've got. Well, I find that really surprising because – the, I think you know you've got a really magical podcast when it sounds like, when, as a listener, you're sitting in a group of mates just mm. listening to their conversation. Yeah. Um, and, and your podcast certainly captures that aesthetic. To me, I feel like you guys have been mates for years and years. And probably now, because the show's been going so long, you've mm. developed enough of that rapport that you probably have yeah. been mates for years and years. Mm. But that's, I think, what, really where the success of the sash comes from is it's just your in jokes about Essendon and all of that sort of stuff that you become privy to as a listener um, mm. because you do jump in and, and essentially just listen to your conversations each week. Yeah. And I think it definitely helped if a few, a few of the other guys had gone to school together. Um, like I'd met a couple of them prior to, you know, through friendship circles, like we live in the same part of Melbourne um, and stuff like that. So I think that helped those guys because they knew each other already, that it was easy to get in front of a mic, you know, your team, you know what you're talking about. Um, and then it was just for me to build that sort of bond with them and, um, and I guess it just come, also just comes down to just doing it time and time again that, it, mm. you know, I, particularly Mert, who I'd probably do the most podcasts with, everyone would know him as the the ultimate, you know, pessimist, you know, won't say anything positive. And if he does, it never goes well. Like, I feel like we've got to the point now of doing podcasts where even if we're doing it remotely, I can pause and I know that he will just pick up the conversation and keep going. Like, we've been mm. doing it together for that long. Um and yeah, like it, it's it's great that 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 synergies uh you know come together with everyone, and I'm just uh, I'm just always happy people enjoy it. Yeah, no, it's great. It's it's a great product, and um, we enjoy listening. Maddie, Qu- question for you, Rob. Uh, I think uh, I'm, I'm I'll be pulling uh, on the memory bank here, but I think uh, it was probably around 2018, 2019. You had uh, Andy Lovett on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you put out an Instagram post saying, "What, what, uh, what questions <clears throat> would you like to ask uh, Andrew?" Mm. And do do you recall uh, some buffoon uh, putting through the question of, "Would you prefer twenty Henry Slattery sized Jason Laycocks or a team a team full of Henry Slattery sized Jason Laycocks or?" What's the reverse of that? A team full of Jason Laycock-sized Henry Slatteries. Yeah. Um, I don't recall that question. I do remember um, Andrew uh, speaking about Jason. He was always befuddled about why Jason was a bit of a meme and like people bagged him because he, he always believed that Jason was a really, really talented player. Um, and that was one of the things that I guess it did open my eyes a little bit, that, that chat that we had, we had with him was that, you know, we always have those bad players that we all like to rip on, whether it be, you know, your Ty Zantax or something like that. And, and one of the boys made one of those jokes there and he's like, oh, man, he was a really good fella. And, like, that was one of those times where I was like, I know we do rip on people a lot in this show, but, I mean, they are humans at the end of the day. Mm. And the other players, they would all, I mean, you know, presumably all get along with these guys. Um, yeah, I don't remember that particular question, but I do remember um, Andrew talking about uh, based on I like, think I, the, that. The that was my Maddie initial, uh, that was my initial uh, I guess interaction with the show was it was actually okay. that was my claim to fame. So he was wrapped when that yeah. came oh, on. We got a message in our little group <laughs> saying you guys got to listen to the sash at this time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so Maddie was wrapped with that. Oh, so, um, Rob, why don't we uh, take a little bit of a break and then when we come back yeah. in, we can uh, jump into our uh, mid-season review and discuss. Just for Paul Brasher, because he's requested this, yep. we'll, we'll get into the nitty-gritty of, of what's going on with this footy club. So before the break, obviously we 
discussing that we're at the midpoint of the season and it really has not gone to plan. Matthew, tell me, where did you think we would be at the bye period of season 2022? Well, I'll, I'll sum it up. I, I do recall you and I, uh, I think it was, it was probably around the February, maybe March, probably February, uh, sitting at uh, a grilled store. I won't reveal the location, but in the in the northern suburbs of, of Melbourne. And we were genuinely discussing top four, that there was a chance that we could be playing, uh, we, we'd be <laughs> in the top four. Finals were, were a lock, uh, and there was there was no chance we were going anywhere but looking top, probably top six. We were definitely a lock I'd, for finals, maybe top four. I'd legitimately booked my premiership tattoo. <laughs> Like that was locked in. That was locked in. I do remember that conversation, and I have to agree with you. Um, My expectations for the start of the year was I was expecting that we would be in the finals and pushing for fourth spot. That that's where, on continued improvement from last year, I expected us to be to be top of the bottom four of the eight, if that makes sense. So, Mm. in other words, fifth or sixth, with the chance of sneaking into the four. Well, and, and and. In our defence, somewhat, uh, you had well, Parish finished third in the Brown though, so we, we had a you know we had a superstar mid, uh, sort of the first since probably Joe, I'd say, and then obviously mm-hmm. a nice backup in 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 Merritt uh, and Caldwell uh, showed a bit in his limited time, and then um, you know we, we still had faith in in Shield, uh, and then you know someone like Jake Stringer who probably in that second half of the year uh, was one of if not the most uh, important or dominant player in the in the league in that sort of Martin uh, mold or Petrarca mold. Uh, it probably wasn't as uh, uh, in hindsight Petrarca probably went to the next level, but he was that influential in in, in game. So um, those things combined, plus with you know this, how much promise we we saw from all our young guys, and well, I mean only preseason another preseason can only make them better, right? Uh, so you, 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 you can, I can see how uh, after so long of mediocrity, we you know maybe we saw the the, the big prize in front of us before it even uh, was there. We started hallucinating. So, but I think at that time, uh, before everything had just gone wrong, um, it was. I'm going to say I'm going to say it was warranted. Uh, but you can see where we came from coming off such a, a somewhat of a sweet ending in in 2021. So, Rob, were you like us, Nuffies? Were you cancelling any plans you had in September, getting ready for us to hoist the flag? Yeah, I look. I was expecting finals. Um, I don't know if I'll go all the way and say expecting flag. I think at the midpoint of the season, I was expecting us to be around, hovering around the eight mark. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty obvious that you know the, the front end of the draw was going to be hard. We always knew that, uh, particularly those first three games, and even there just being other you know good teams um, in the early part of the season, whether it be like the Bulldogs or Sydney um, teams like that. I mean, we you know even Port Adelaide who we played on the weekend. So I guess I was always sort of like, look, it could be a, a slow-ish start like last year, um, but I would have thought that we would have had more than two wins. I would have expecting us to be probably around the five or six win mark, mm-hmm. knowing that the back end of the season we're going to be building and, you know, coming home pretty strong. Um, yeah, and uh, couldn't be further off that. So, Yeah, I I got my MCC membership this year for the after being on the list for, you know, 20 years or whatever it was. Mm. And I, me and my sister rocked up to round one and I watched that first quarter and the... Um, and we got to half time and I turned to her and I said, I think our season is in big, big trouble. Mm. Um, and that was, it, it's proved thus far to be um, very, very ominous and very much um, the case to this point of the season. The, the lack of intensity, the lack of performance throughout the um, most games and just the inability to defend transition, Mm. I think um, has really, really shown from that round one performance to be the rule rather than the exception. Yeah. I think look, it's, it was shades of 2019 where we had that horrific game against the giants in round one Mm. and 
you know, we just completely didn't show up in that game, same as we did against the Cats. One of my biggest concerns in that Geelong game, and, you know, people have said to me now, if you go back and look at the tape from the St Kilda practice game and even the Bulldogs practice game, it looks really similar, was that there was a clear confusion amongst the midfielders. Mm-hmm. Um, I think bees to a honeypot was a term that I used after the Geelong game where the ball would go to ground, for instance, or go to someone for a tackle, and then you'd see all three of the midfielders that centre bounds all just running on them together. And then if we did win the ball, there was no one to give it to because they're all standing on top of each other or often was the case they'd lose it and then whether it be Dangerfield or Guthrie or whoever it was, was just you know out the back one over and off they went. And you sort of have to sit there and wonder and go, they've had a six-month preseason working together. I know there's lots of things they do, but surely they understand where they all need to be as that starting midfield group. Mm. Um, mm. And it was, you know, alarm bells were ringing very early. Yeah. And I agree. It was, that was my biggest frustration is that they'd had six months working together, preparing for the season and to not turn up to round one. That said to me that, that they've wasted this time. They've wasted this six months where instead of having the solid game plan that we started to see towards the back end of, of last year and build on that, it's almost like they tried to reinvent the whole wheel and they've just they're just all confused. No one knows what they should be doing or where they should be going. Yeah, like like you know, I've, I've spoken about a fair bit on the sash that it was pretty clear last year that our, our issue was our delivery inside Ford fifty, mm-hmm. and then that we were getting killed on counter, which happened a lot. Mm-hmm. And it felt like they were going, all right, let's try and slow it down a little bit so that we can make those good decisions and make those good options. But we've almost gone so far back into slowing it down that we don't, and. Yeah. You occasionally see these fleeting moments in games where we'll actually pull it off and we'll do, you know, a full transition or, you know, half the ground, whatever it may be, and it'll be kick mark, kick mark, kick mark, and it'll look really good and you go, okay, I can kind of see it. But those moments are so far away from us doing it regularly um, that you kind of go wonder, is this a game plan that works with this group? Mm. Um because, you know, it is one of those sort of coaching philosophy questions. Is it all right, do you come in with a plan and then you get the players to play the plan or do you come in and go, this is my list, I'm going to make my, you know, game plan around who I've got available to us? Because I just don't think we have the kind of players who suit a, you know, possession kick mark game. Mm. Um, We have a lot of guys who are great athletes and great runners. You know, we always talk about how fast we are as a team, but – I don't think you'd look around our list and go, these are the guys who are going to be consistently taking no strong one-on-one marks around the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we've been just sort of figured out into a long down the line type scenario, mm-hmm. um, particularly in that Port Adelaide game where the clear game plan was just launch it into 50 and hope someone gets onto it. I agree. And and this is something that we've talked about on the Donfather quite a bit is that I – I think Rutten is trying to create a game plan that he thinks will be successful regardless of who's on the list mm. rather than looking at the assets he has on the list and constructing a game plan that's going to be successful for the group that we have. And and maybe that's something that given time in the role with conversation with Dodoro, he can create the list that he wants at the football club as, as most coaches will do eventually. Um, but also maybe that's a bit of naivety around him that he believes he can turn footballers like, let's say, Dylan Scheel, who for me, his natural game is to get the ball, explode and and get it forward. And to turn players like that, like Nick Hind, who's the same type of player, into these defensive, slow, kick, mark, skillful players. Mm. Yeah, and you sort of wonder is like, how much time can you be given to actually bring this sort of philosophy in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things about AFL is that it's got so many levels to it compared to, say, soccer, where, you know, you get 11 guys on the pitch, you've got an offside rule that really dictates how the game can be played. But, you know, trends in AFL change really, really quickly that, you go, all right, we need to give, give the guy three or four years to bet in this system. But in that time, the next system of what, you know, may be good might take over and then your system is now null and void. Um, there is still a lot of, you know, Richmond about what we've been trying to do, that we play this high press, we try and push up and pin it into um, our forward 50. But because we don't do it very well, we just kind of 
leave ourselves open to that kick over the top mm. um, time and time again. And, you know, I think Rutten should coach out the year regardless. Like I think you, you get into real bad territory as a club if you're constantly flipping coaches, you know, every right. two years. you got to let him stay out the year and then show that next year that it is functioning somewhat. Mm. Um, and if not, then we have that conversation about getting someone else. But, um, yeah, it's 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 a hard one. Yeah, and I think... I think for the most part, the the game plan and the effort has been our biggest issue that I've seen. And that's the concerning part, is that it looks like the players don't understand the game plan and or they're not putting in effort, which I don't think is true. And I think it's a bit unfair to suggest that. But certainly from the optics, it looks like they're, they're not trying. They're not pushing hard enough. They're not defending well enough when there's, I'm sure, a whole heap of different factors. But if if they look that way, then that has to, for me, come down to the coaching, comes down to the instructions and, and getting the most out of your players. Yeah, like if you're, not, if you're not motivated, it comes down to leadership, whether that be the on-field leader or, you know, the off-field leaders in, in the coaching department because every week you should be coming in with the same intensity. Um that's just not going to happen. That's just the nature of football. That players get up some weeks, they they're down other weeks. You know, they have a big clash against a rival, and they really g themselves up for it. And the next week, they're terrible. That is just what footy's like. Um, but that's the thing. Like, I guess if we look at the the power game as the most recent example, yeah, there was effort, and that was good. It was good to see. But the fact that we have to be speaking about that as a positive shows how bad we've been. Because you know, two two three weeks ago in Sydney. We were just that deplorable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, you have to wonder is like when players aren't bringing an effort, is that because are they too confused? Are they disenchanted with the coach? Like are there, what, are, what are the other reasons why players are just like, oh, I really can't be, you know, F chasing? Mm-hmm. Um, is, it, is it an emotional thing that they've got an issue with someone or is it simply the fact they don't understand where they're supposed to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, agree, agree. Yeah, and I think another thing to find is that um, we have really struggled with availability. Um, and I think this has been a gripe of mine. And I love your terminology on the sash with the curse of the crow. Because certainly when, um, when Justin Crow was in charge, he was absolutely my scapegoat. Anyone who would listen to me, either on a podcast or not on a podcast... Mm. They got earfuls of how bad Justin Crow was. Yeah, I feel like I owe this man an apology. <laughs> it has not changed, and he's no longer there. Mm. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it, it, like well, one of the, the guys on our pod, Damo, he's he's an osteo, and he mm. he said to us when you know they changed over the guys in that department, he said, "Look, it's going to take a couple of years to bet in any kind of changes for people. Like this mm. is." what, you know, sports science sort of is. Some people are just injury prone. That is just a thing, unfortunately. Um, and, yeah, it is pretty frustrating this year that there's still a lot of that, oh, this guy's not injured, oh, now he's back, oh, now he's injured again sort of stuff where we just kind of go, can we just get a clean run at it, please, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, be in there. Um, you're right, though, about availability being the biggest issue where if you look at our, you know, best goal kickers from last year, suddenly, you know, Stringer's barely played this year. Tip Moore didn't play and now he's retired. Kale Hooker uh, obviously retired as well. Uh, Wright has been the only consistent. Jones has played one game now. Waterman was in and out of the side. And then even the next crop down, Langford and Snelling. So mm-hmm. we've basically lost 100, 200 goals from last season. Thus, um, you know, just through these guys, um, maybe maybe not even that big a number, but like at least over a hundred goals have just gone yeah. Yeah. through the people we haven't had playing on the field. So I think from that end of the ground, I think it makes a lot of sense to me why we haven't been able to score very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the glaring issue, like you've said, Nick, is you know defending in transition, the way we're setting up behind the ball is the biggest issue, and we haven't been as badly damaged down that end of the ground as we have at the front end, mm-hmm. where you have to wonder going how much are those experienced guys up the ground part of this 
you know, zone that we're trying to play um, or is the fact that the zone is too complicated for the midfielders? Like I'm, my biggest concern right now is our mids. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we do have a, a raw defense, you know, Reed needs a couple of years before it can come good. Laverde needs to be moved off the biggest def- mm. you know, forward so he can actually play his best role. Ridley's gone back into his shell, needs to come back out again. Like, I feel like we can see there's growth there, but my issue is just the midfield group just isn't functioning properly. Um, and then when we get some cattle back and maybe, who knows, bringing some new new people into the forward line, that'll sort of sort itself out. Um but it is hard when we've got, you know, the worst injury list after West Coast. So. Mm. And look, the, the thing that frustrates me um, in – so I'm a Cairo in my line of work. And the thing that frustrates me is recurrent soft tissue injuries mm. um, because they're not luck. And there's a lot of talk in press conferences and a lot of talk from the club saying, oh, we, you know, Stringer got unlucky because he did a groin, then he did a hamstring, then he did the other hamstring. That's not luck. That's incorrect rehab because that's a breakdown of biomechanics. I think something like syndesmosis, that's an impact injury. A knee, yeah. an ankle, those sorts of things, concussions mm. you can you can handle. But when mm. people are doing a soft tissue injury and recurrence of tissue injuries, either to the same muscles or to other parts of the same kinetic chain. Mm. For me, I think that's that's an issue that um, the rehab is not not being looked at and not done correctly. Yeah. And if if so, the players, if there is a, a proper program there, the players aren't buying into it. The mm. one that really irritates me the most was that back end of last year, Langford does a really bad hammy. Mm-hmm. And it was the second time that he've done the hammy, and they just go, "No, nah, we're not going to go in for surgery." He does the whole preseason, and then literally the first moment of round one, he does it again. And you're like, "We just had a six months off. You could have done the surgery. You know, we could have made we could have made that call." Yeah. And we've been reluctant to do it in the past. Like, um, you know, we know Joe Danaher was a bit of a crazy circumstance, but we didn't want to do any sort of surgery with the OP issue that we had. We went down that let's just rehab it, and that yeah. failed. So then we went to it again. Um, whereas you kind of have to wonder to go, look, if the season's cooked or you've got it a whole off season, it's not that bad if you have to put some guys under the knife mm-hmm. in November, because ideally by, you know, Jan, they're, you know, they're back on the track and we're getting ready for, um, the coming season. Yeah. Agree. And I think, um, Langford in particular, he is so important to our structure because he can play really anywhere forward of center. He can play on the wing. He can play in the midfield. You can push him to a flank. You can push him to deep forward. And I think having that kind of player who is not only really good with his hands, um, really composed, but also can kick a set shot really well. I, I think it's intangible the difference that that kind of player makes when he's playing week in, week out for your team. Yeah. Like a good way to think about him, he's almost the reverse of what Andrew McGrath does because Andrew McGrath plays mid, he plays wing, and he plays as a defender, whereas Kyle can play mid, can play wing, and plays forward. Mm. Pure utility. And we've got the we've got our utility backman in McGrath who all season, one week he's in the middle, one week he's at the back, one week he's on the wing, he's all over the place. And Langford's provided us just that option that it's just like, all right, someone's gone down, we need a bit of grunt in the mid, we'll put him in there. We need someone to go to up forward, we'll put him in there. Um, and it, it really just shows because he is one of our best utility players. Like everyone talks about utilities being, oh, he can go forward, he can go back, he's, you know, six foot eight or whatever. But the guys who can play in the guts and then go somewhere else and still be impactful are, you know, the, the other utilities that kind of get overlooked a little bit. Mm. Um, and it's funny, like a couple of years ago, Kyle was, you know, the whipping boy for a lot of Essen supporters. Everyone thought he was nowhere near it. He was slow. You know, we always joke that he looks like he's asleep half the time when he's out there. But, you know, you get the ball in his hands and he's a great player. Yeah. Um, and it's showed this year that we've missed our two best users on the half forward line with him and Snelling. And yeah. it's no wonder our kicking looks bad. Yeah, absolutely. Maddie. Who have you missed? Who who has been the one that's been missing this whole season that you just can't wait to get back in the red and black and who you think is going to be the saviour of our season? I must say, just, I'll just preface this. It is difficult to get a word in between. I feel there's some sort of – obviously, we're, we're virtual, but there's some sort of uh, – uh, is it a cosmic – no, that's not the word I'm looking for, like a 
What's it called? ESP like, bond. Yeah, like when you when two minds just align themselves. Just, what, what do you what do you call it? Um, I've gone completely blank. Like a, ESP. ESP is a is a name for it. It'll come to me. It's just um, a delicious rapport, Maddie. That well, we love to see it. But yeah. um, I didn't even get a comment on the on the on the game plan. But I, I, I think um, if I can, yeah, give, give my two cents. Although I've given it in, in previous weeks, it's it's not the fact that. Um, we're losing that so much frustrates me, and, and I, you know, I don't mean that it's it's okay to lose, but I mean it. It's the way and and the backwardsness that we've taken in, in the in the way we're losing. That's what really frustrates me. Um, but we're we're past that point. We don't need to, to gloss over. But in terms of availability, uh, I was. Oh, I mean, I think we're all pretty sad to see Tipper uh, never come back. But uh, look, I'd really love to see a a fit. Uh, Jake, Str- I don't think we'll see him this year. I don't think he he had the tickets um, saved from a preseason like he seems to have done uh, prior to twenty twenty one when he, he just looked. There's probably another player in the league that that fluctuates so much in in body shape. Is there? But you know uh, that that um, like Jake Stringer does. He he looks his best in November before the Christmas beers uh, start circulating. <laughs> Absolutely the downhill slope after that. Yeah, well, I, it's. I'd love to, you know, because there are some guys who can get injured and, and come back and they still look the same if not. And maybe they're in a bit better shape depending on the injury they had. Um, mm. And this could be like with Jake, just the nature of the injuries he's had. Um, but it doesn't, you know, very rarely seems to be the case. He can get injured and, and come back in, in better form or, or, or hasn't gone too far away from where he was. So I do hope that, well, he had a really down 2020 year. Back up in 2021, a little bit down in 2022. Maybe you can repeat some some, some fashion. No one's going to save us this year. We're done. Uh, no review from from Paul Brasher. In fact, I'd love to get onto that topic if we if we get the time. Um, because, well, I'll give you my two cents worth. I think availability. It doesn't matter who's available. It's, it's done. Um, yeah. But how can a, a, you know Sean? Is it Sean Wellman? Sean uh, Sheedy, Sheedy and uh, who's the Madden. third one? Madden. Three guys who have been at Essendon for forever and a day, particularly Sheedy. How can they then run the review about the Essendon of today? Like, and I don't mean this with any form of disrespect, but like we, we're going through a new era at Essendon. Like that's the hope with Rutten. That this is the start yeah. of a new era. Mm. It just seems so counterintuitive, counterintuitive to me to bring back guys from yesteryear, and they had their highs, no doubt, um, to then comment on how the next era of our football club should play out. Like I think that's something that you know maybe you get from a local football club where you don't exactly have resources and you have to draw on people of the past. But at a professional level football club, I would have thought the most logical thing to do is to get external people, people that have no emotional uh, connection with Essendon, and those three certainly would, given the history. Um, surely that would make the most sense, given you had just done the same thing 18 months ago uh, at the end of 2020 there with those three leading the charge. So that's probably what... what well, I guess that review could... Say, I'm, I'm not, we can't be saved this season, maybe next year. Um but that's that's something that really concerns me as to why that occurs, and and maybe yeah. that's been a problem of Essendon for for too long, is we just keep it in house far too often. Yeah, and and look, I understand your concerns, and for me in particular, Kevin Sheedy is a concern because I think he is well past understanding what makes a good modern football club. I think Kevin Sheedy is great for coming up with marquee games, promoting the game, and under giving getting a good story, right? But I don't think he's the kind of guy that you want to be, yes, this is the cutting edge of where football is at now and where we are going forward. Would you say that you agree, Rob? Sorry, I just dropped out there. No, good. Um, How do you feel about that? Yeah, it's funny. It, it looks. It seems to me like you know. You know that meme of Barack Obama where he's giving the medal to Barack Obama. Yeah. That's that, that, that's what this review feels like. Where we're kind of like, yeah, we did a review. Yeah, we did a great job. Like, good on everyone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, 
like there's a few things on this. Like sh- every club should be doing an internal review every single year, regardless mm. whether you mm. finish last, win the flag. That's Agreed. what should be happening. So mm. I don't understand the point of them announcing they're doing a review. You should be doing that anyway. Uh, it makes, as you guys have said, it makes zero sense that we've gone and done an internal review a couple of years ago. We've scapegoated um, someone and gotten rid of them. And then. I kept- think it was Neil, wasn't it? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, Richardson. Richardson. That's yeah. Richardson. That's Richardson. Uh, Neil is uh, two reviews ago. Let's 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 oh, let's, of course, uh, of course. let's get our reviews uh, together. Um, oh God, Mark Neil. That's a that's a, that's a can of worms. Um, so it's like, all right, we've done that, and we're gonna do the same thing again, which is ludicrous. You know, the the doomsdayers will say it's a protection racket. It's that all these people in board positions, you know, CEO included are just trying to protect themselves and in their, in their nice jobs that they've got. If you looked at the, the, the counter arguments that it would be them saying we, them, they, they back themselves to say that they can fix it. I think some of them uh, are due that opportunity to do it. Um, I think, you know, Marnie Rutt in particular, you know, they need to be given their chance. Other people who've been in roles for decades long, maybe you've had your time and it is time to look somewhere else. But the fact that we, yeah, we refuse to do an external review, um, I think is really, really strange because there's a lot of ex-players and ex-staff who've come out of Essen in the past few years and just all sort of say that like, you know, it's a bit of a boys' club between some of the sort of hierarchy. A lot of people who seem to think that it's still, you know, the nineties and the two th- early two thousands when we were great. Um, and yeah, it's there's nothing wrong with getting someone else from the outside to come in. The the reason they're unlikely to do that is that these people who are in some of these roles that if they do that, then they're probably going to lose their job, and that's why they're refusing to do it. Mm. Yeah, look, I. I- See your point, and I certainly don't disagree. I think there is scope for you to do an internal review if the person doing that review can do the review objectively Mm. and can be open and honest with the way that they're looking at a situation. (laughs) I just don't know that Sheedy, for me, is the person that I would have doing that kind of review. Yeah. Um, I get the sense that Paul Brasher is a very good businessman, and I think by extension needs to have some of these skills already and i'm not sure and i I genuinely don't know whether wellman and madden have that ability they may they may not i just genuinely don't know yeah like madden like the last time i i ran into him like you know he still seems pretty sharp sean wellman's obviously a bit younger kevin like i think he's definitely past it in any of those sort of roles like the last time that I spoke spoke to him, like whether it's just him not wanting to ask answer difficult questions or mm. just being a little bit old because like he's seventy four now, yeah. and that that's the age where you know we've all got you know uncles and aunties or parents or grandparents who get to that sort of age, and you know you just kind of you know you're starting to lose a little bit. It's just the sad reality of life, and it's not like a go at the person because he's arguably the the greatest figure in AFL history, at least in modern mm. AFL history. But it's probably, like you said, he's probably not the guy you want to be running this review. Like, I don't know if Kevin going, oh, in my day, we would just, you know, have a bottle of red and then we'd beat him up the next day. Like, I don't know if that's really what we need now. Like, yeah. I'd rather have, you know, a cutting edge man or woman who is up to what 2022 professional sports are. I don't even have to be an AFL person. Get someone from, you know, the English Premier League or from the NRL. Get Craig Bellamy down there or someone who's been at top-tier professional sport and can just run the rule through everything. And there's probably a lot of things we do great. There's definitely some things we can do better. Absolutely. Agree. Agree. I feel like Kevin Sheedy is that guy that you want at the footy club that the young players come in and he says – Come here, lads. Come and have a seat. Let me tell you about the great Leon Baker. Yeah. And, you know, he wore your number and he did this and this. Like, that's the kind of guy, that's his role at the footy club now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I agree 100%. Get someone external from a successful group elsewhere, EPL, NBA, somewhere, mm. and, and get them in doing that review and actually looking at the club with a fresh set of eyes without the red and black tinted glasses that we all wear. So, yeah. No, I, I don't think for, for Shitty, I don't think it's a it's a back in my day sort of approach. I just think for a guy who for 25 years coached the side and was part of so much 
success. Like, how, how can you come in and review a club where you have that sort of tie? It would be like asking, uh, I don't know, like David Beckham to, to do a review on Manchester. Or, no, so that's a bad example, uh, asking Sir Alex Ferguson to, to do a review yeah. on Manchester United. Like, mm-hmm. he it, it just could like, you know what I mean? It, it, yeah. it seems very it's counterintuitive to me, but... Um, I guess our next point on the on the, was if I'm right to move on was go for was, it. Um, on the uh, on the on the coach's point, um, I, I think I mean there's been a little bit of chatter about the time to move track on and you know no point um, paying the faith there, but I I think what where truck issue lies is the support around him. I don't I don't think. He has anyone around him who has been a head coach before, and there's a little bit of yeah. not the blind leading the blind because I don't think it's totally blind. Like I think they we've got some great football minds in there with with Cara and and Gian Saracusa. Um, but sort of the uh, are you using an analogy, uh, Nick? It's like walking into a dark forest and you can't see further than six feet in front of you. Uh, and, and when you know you haven't got it, when you've got someone next to you who's been a head coach before, has seen it, knows what it's like to be at the low, knows what it be, knows what it's like to be at the at the high, they mm. know what's coming next. They can read teams. They know mm. what's coming. We haven't got that, and I think that's probably hurting Truck because now he's in a low, and he's like, well, what do I do? And no one around him can actually help him in that regard. They haven't been through yeah. it. Well, yeah. my my question to that would have been then, what was happening? the worst fold handover year because mm. a lot of people said that Rutten was running a lot of the things and worst fold was just facing the press. But what, what happened that year was worst fold actually parting his leadership. We know like, you know, John got a bit salty towards the end and was taking shots at a lot of people, but mm. like, was it, was he actually getting the lesson from, from John? Like what happened? Mm. And why, why can't Rutten pick up the phone to him? You know that was almost a forced mentorship, right? If you look at yeah. it from a from a business point of view, and and why and maybe he is, but why isn't that then a continuing resource mm. that Rutten has? Get on the phone to John Worsford and say, "Hey, let's have a, a chat about what's going on. Can you give me some advice on on what's happening here?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. It'd be interesting. I, it'd be interesting to know if they still still speak to each other. I think that's that's different, though, because uh, again. Um, I mean, we can say, you know, Rutten was taken over in 2020, but I can imagine, and, and just, I, I don't think this ever works, where there's that power dynamic with the players, like, Worsfold's the actual coach, but Rutten's running it sort of thing. It would have been this weird 50-50 split, I, I think it was doomed from the start. Um, but there's different between, okay, having a year sort of as an apprenticeship, you're not the guy yet, um, you know, it's not your sanctuary as yet you're not the man running the show uh but you still you know there's a difference between doing that apprenticeship year versus actually having that older head right next to you as it's happening who's, who's also right. invested right his, yeah his yeah, yeah his yeah, job yeah, yeah. is he's not waiting to retire he is employed by the club to be part of this coaching group and his job is to ensure that you are successful yeah i, I understand that mm. distinction that well i think you know richmond have uh and i've brought this one before richmond have neil Barm, mm, yeah. Melbourne, uh, Choco Williams, if I'm not mistaken. And when Choco came on board, that was sort of when Melbourne started to really shift. And Alan, um, Alan Richardson, even though he wasn't a successful coach with St Kilda, he's you know runs their footy department and he was a coach. Mm. So. And he was very successful at Port Adelaide prior to St Kilda, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Um, mm. But nonetheless, um, it, history would, would show. And I think uh, Clarko... I mean, he had... He's the Fagan. obvious one, right? Well, sorry, I mean, in terms of when he was at Hawthorne, he had Fagan there. Granted, he hadn't had senior coach experience, but when he has come into it as a senior coach, you know, he turned a club 180 degrees. So I think that if you look at success, uh, head coaches that have been successful have had someone who's been there before with them in the trenches, someone who had, mm. who's seen it before, knows what's coming, knows what it's like to be at the bottom, Knows what it's like when you're, you know, someone to just lean on, I suppose, and, and, and has the answer without having the answer. You know what I mean? And I wonder if this is what 
uh, Brash is talking about in terms of resourcing the coaching group. Mm. I wonder if this is sort of the the purpose of the review. Uh, if you put you know your lenses on, you say, well, maybe they're saying, is it worth us spending a million bucks on Clarko? In, in as many words, right? Mm. Is it worth us getting him in or someone of that ilk to be a mentor to Ben Rutten and be the senior assistant? Mm. Yeah, because I feel like, unfortunately with Clarko, the name and, you know, the, the gravitas of the man that if he was that person brought in as that assistant role, unfortunately for Ben, because of who he is, he's going to overshadow him and it's just going to be, oh, Great. he's going to take over. As soon as Ben fails, he'll, t- you know, he'll take the reins. I'm I'm asking a question for you guys. Who else is out there that's experienced, has been around the traps, but doesn't have that burden of being Clarko looking over your shoulder that still could provide that, you know, experience um, for Rutten? Mm. It's, it's a tough one. I was thinking about this today, and I know little 14-year-old Nicky, who he would want. Um and that is certainly the great man, Sir James, Mister Heard. Of course, <laughs> that is who I would want. But he's certainly oh, how not. How could that go wrong? How could that go wrong? Yeah. Um, but it's it's an interesting one because Essendon don't have a history like there's Sheedy, and then there's a couple of really unsuccessful eras of football. But the obvious one, as an Essendon person, would be someone like Sheedy who is now past it. But I'm not sure who's who's out there and who's available who you would want. Apart from Clarko, right? Who, which other successful coaches are there that you would want to bring into the group? Well, it's um, it's funny you say that because obviously the the one that has been most successful coming out of Sheedy as a, as an assistant would be uh, Bomber Thompson, mm. who um, and and well now Dimmer Hardwick, um, yeah. but then also Simon Goodwin uh, started Essendon under James Hurd, who was assisted by Bomber Thompson. So yeah. <laughs> it's funny. So it's, it just seems to always tie back to, to Sheets. But, um, yeah, that's a tough question, Rob. Um, Have you got an idea yourself? Well, that's the thing. I, I don't. I mean, there's people who will go, oh, what about Ross Lyon? And we all sort of go, oh, really, Ross Lyon? Like you kind of you, you look back at the recent, you know, premierships and who's won them and who's actually still in a job because basically – Unless you go back to, I mean, look, Nathan Buckley is one. Um, I don't know whether or not that's something he's interested in doing. Like he's got a pretty cushy gig at Fox. I'm sure that he's enjoying. Um, he would probably be the one I'd say who's been around the longest, um, although didn't win one. I mean, if Adam Simpson gets the chop, then by all means, I'd absolutely love Adam Simpson to come over, although I think he'd probably go to North. But, I mean, if you go back through the recent premiership winners, other than Hawthorne, if you go back to 2011, like all the coaches are still in a job, mm. um, you know, whether it be Longmire or Scott or, um, you know, Beveridge. So there isn't like any fr- – like Clarko is the freshest premiership winner. Um, otherwise, you're going back to, to Malthouse, which I don't think anyone would want either. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. There, there isn't a massive name. Um, the, it, well, one from left field is probably Gary Ayres, right? Because mm. – he spent a long time at Essendon um, as an assistant coach, um, had some success, was a senior coach at Geelong, <coughs> and then has had a really good career at Port Melbourne in the VFL. Mm. So he's sort of one of left field that has had great success running a club that is essentially out of a job now that may be interested in coming back. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it's obviously a, a very different step up going from VFL to AFL, but, you know, the guy coached, However many years at Adelaide, um, it was at Geelong before that. Um, and even as a player, you know, he won a heap of flags when he played for the Hawks. So, yeah, plenty of experience. Wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't say no to Gary if that is, you know, something he's, he's interested in doing. Mm. So I'm, well, I'm just actually, conscious of the time and we've been waffling on for, you know, nearly an hour. So I thought we might sort of start to wrap up the episode with um, where do you – think what what does success look like given where we are for the rest of the season and what are some things that we need to do and need to change either from a recruitment point of view from a a positional switch point of view how do we how do we get success and how do we define success for the rest of the year um look for me on field um i just want to see us getting games into kids that is that's the priority for me um and 
you know, we, we know the names. It's, you know, your Perkins, your Hobbs, your Martins, Reed, those kind of guys, um, you know, Brian, throw them in there as well. Those sort of guys, I just want to see him playing as much footy as possible, um, which I think we're going to, which is good. Um, you can always run the risk of going full North Melbourne and just playing kids and getting belted every week. So we still got to have that balance as much as some people are like, oh, just drop everyone who's, you know, over 25. Mm-hmm. Um Got to have that balance. I think that's that's all I want to see. Um, I want to see us win against Carlton, and then I kind of don't care what happens after that. Um, I was actually looking before, boys. So this is this is some good omen for the year. So so far our season, we've had three losses in a row, and then a win. Three losses in a row, and then a win, and we've just had our third loss in a row. So, I mean, who knows? I think that means we might win against Carlton. Uh, so, I like it. I yeah. like it a lot. Um, and Carlton are, Carlton are struggling right now. A lot of injuries. Um, and they're a bit cocky. And as typically happens in rivalries, the team that is higher on the ladder tends to get beaten in the rivalry games. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm. look, would love that. Uh, and then, yeah, don't care what happens for the rest of the year regarding wins and losses. Um, off field, like, I don't expect to see any wholesale changes. Um, I'd like to see – but I said this on – last night's episode of the Sash is I'd like to see some, you know, smart moves in the off-field season where mm-hmm. we're not chasing million-dollar men, but we're going after role players, people who might be on the out at various clubs or a gettable, and they're not about, you know, oh, this is some big marketing ploy. We've got this guy, oh, you know, how good's he? Um, like going, okay, we probably we need we need another keep backup key defender. Let's get him. We need you know a, a small forward or two. Let's get them. We might need some bigger bodies in the midfield or whatever it might be. Just going. Let's get some shrewd picks, guys who aren't guaranteed to be walk up stars and have to fight for it. But it's going to bring some depth to this team because that's the issue I think that we've got at the moment is that I think our best twenty two is still pretty good and I think is good enough to be a top eight side, but. We need more depth, and that's that, That's the thing for me. I agree. I think what I really liked about Jake Kelly's recruitment last year was that he was exactly that type of player that was really good as a lockdown defender, which we've struggled with for a number of years. And they went out, and he was not a big name, but he was really quite elite at what his role was. And a few more of those, I think, is the way to go. Yeah, so mm. that's it for me. Yeah. Matty? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Um, I liken it to when uh, Richmond sort of offloaded Deledio and picked up uh, Caddy, Prestia. Uh, there's probably, uh, I think, uh, Nankervis came over in that deal, if I'm not wrong, or maybe the year before, I can't really remember. But, you know, they went for sort of, okay, we'll, we'll let a, a bit of a, a star go and, and in turn we'll bring in some depth. Um, yeah, I think similarly, we'd like to see... Uh, you know, if, if we're going to play Phillips, you may as well play Brian instead. Um, get games into Tex, uh, Hobbs, Martin, you know, the list goes on. Uh, and, then, yeah, fill, fill the gaps. Um, but I agree, it's not so much... A, I don't think we need more star power if, on the if, we can actually get the guys we've got up and about, uh, like, i.e. Stringer. Um, but, if you know, you can add another... Decent small forward, cover the loss of a, a tipper, uh, maybe another, uh, yeah, maybe another defender. Fifty-fifty uh, on Jimmy Stewart and his ability, yeah. um, but maybe you can get a small upgrade there. Who's a little bit younger, um, and then I, I think from a midfield perspective, yeah, it's a big body. But do we need someone who's oh, like? A, I'm thinking back to sort of Richmond again, but like a Reese Conker type who's just going to do the shitty little things, scrappy things that no one wants to do, but sort of unlocks those other players, if you, if you get what I mean. Just takes a bit of a burden off them. He's, you know, we don't need him to go out and get 20, 30. I think we get, we've get we got guys who can accumulate as it is. We just need someone who can take a bit of burden off someone else. Maybe what, you know, sort of Matty Kennedy's doing at Carlton for Crips. Granted, we don't have a player the size of Crips, but just taking a bit of that load off. Mm. Um, is that sort of what we need? And then uh, I think, yeah, just from an off-field perspective, everything we've spoken about, um, I think I really think I think Truck's our man. I just think he needs more support. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I think that's 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 me. I think. Mm. So, are you boys ready for it? Go for it. Here's my plan. This is how we turn this football club around. The first thing you do is you go to every supermarket in the western suburbs and you buy all the white sage that you can fit in your trolley. All of it. Every single piece of white sage that you can get. You go to the hangar and you turn off all the smoke alarms. Every single smoke alarm, you're turning that off. Every emergency, all the backup generators are all going off. And you burn all that white sage everywhere in the hangar and you get rid of the bad juju that has been hanging around for 20 years at this football club, right? And then you have a ceremony. You get all the players in, you get the staff, you get everyone and you take all those ashes, you put them in an urn and you actually make a big deal of this. You bury Essendon's mediocrity. You put a gravestone there, you dig a hole, you put the urn in there, you make a grave and you say, here lies the mediocrity of Essendon 2004 to 2022. And you close that book of the club. And then you get the Catholic priest, you bring him in. This is an Italian podcast, so it's nice and Catholic. He blesses everything. The holy water goes everywhere. You turn all the smoke alarms back on. You turn up on Monday and you go 11 straight from here on in. You sneak into the eight. All the players come back. You got no injuries and you win all the way through to the flag. That is how you fix this football club. I love it. I love it. Just a uh, just a quick note. That was fantastic. I'm going to diverge again. Uh, Rob, just, just a comment on your, your trend, you know, the loss, 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 win. Mm. We're only half a chance against the bye this week. So we, oh, could, we could be full it's on the true. track. It's and true. just a, a simple yes, no question from you, although I'm sure you've got a little bit more to comment on it. And feel free to do so. Dyson Heppel. Uh, is he there next year? Uh, yes, he's there next year. I, no, I don't know. Mm. Look, I, I think, I, I was saying this in our most recent episode with Heppel, I think Heppel's an incredible leader. I don't know that he is the right leader for the club right now. Mm. Um, yeah. So that's where we are with that. And and of course, you know, we're, we're engaging in a little of bit of hyperbole, but I think, yeah, some shrewd recruiting. I wouldn't mind us spending some money on the right player, though. Mm. Like, I think going after Dunkley a number of years ago was a really clever move. It didn't get over the line, but I wouldn't mind splashing some cash on a similar player. I just don't know who's available or who we would go after and what role they would fill. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, I mean, like, I was... Talking about Fremantle made a lot of shrewd moves, but if you look back to Melbourne, they spent big on May and Lever. Yep. yep. Lever obviously was phenomenal last year, and you know is an amazing intercept player when he doesn't have to basically be a defender. But yep. they went big on Stephen May because they were like, "We need a fullback. That's what we need." Stephen May's our guy, and yep. Stephen May's the best fullback in the comp. Like yep. that's that's the sort of thing. So. You've got to be very, very sure if you're spending big that there you go because we've done it with Dylan Shiel and we didn't get as much as what we would have wanted so far at least. Um, so you've got to make sure that, you know, it's worth it. Yeah, agree. Agree. So, Rob, we've, we've taken up enough of your time. Thank you again for uh, coming in and, and joining us on this mid-season review. Pleasure. For, for those who don't know where to find you, where can they find the sash? And if you don't know where the sash is, what are you doing? Uh, where can they find the sash? Where, they can, where can they follow you on socials? Give us give us all of that. Uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find the sash. So wherever you're listening to this right now, I guess I guess the sash is probably going to be on the same app. Uh, but you can find us on Facebook at The Sash and on Instagram at The Sash Pod and then on Twitter, The Sash Podcast. Um, and then uh, there's a really basic website, thesash.com.au, where I occasionally update it and it's just got links to all our podcasts. So you can go there as well. Nice. And some great merch on uh, the Sash. Yes. So- yeah. I need to update. I mean, I've, it, this was meant, they were meant to be updated at the start of the season. The guy who was doing it for me has just completely vanished off the face of the earth. So <laughs> all the, I'm, I'm thinking I might just can all the 2022 designs and just hold them for next year when maybe we're good and people want to buy merch. So Yeah, great, great. Just one last one before you leave us. Yeah. The Big Calabrian. 
<laughs> I, I love this joke, but I don't understand it. Uh, I don't get it. I don't actually understand it either because this is something that Mert's been running with. Um, and one of Mert's friends who is of Italian heritage is, is a very firm belief that Peter Wright is actually the bloodline <laughs> goes back to him being from Calabria. There's, there's little substance to this. It's mostly just speculation from a drunken man. Um, but Mert's been running with it, so we're just, we're just, I'm just letting him go with it. I'm, I'm yet to verify uh, that he is, in fact, from Calabria. Right, right. <laughs> so, Maddie, where can people find us? Where can they get us on the socials? Oh, well, I thought, I thought it was crazy for, for saying that, but Rob's run it as well. Wherever you're listening to this, uh, just keep listening on this app. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was crazy for saying it, but Rob, Rob's, I'm, I'm a genius. You are a genius. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, we're, I think, what are we on? Spotify, Podbean, Apple Pod, all Instagram, of them. Instagram. Instagram. Godfather Pod. Godfather um, Pod. Um, Face Talks. Yeah, um, yeah. All those you things. Know, the, all oh, those no, things. we're not on Facebook. We're just pure Instagram, I think. Yeah, that's true. That's by, true. Uh, yeah, but um, no, very good. Very good. Well, well, boys, as always, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you, Rob. And until next time. Go Dolphins!